All right. Well, good morning, everybody. All right. Good, good. Thank you. <laughs> good to see everybody today. And um, I just wanted to say, uh, um, again, uh, uh, happy summer to you. Um, for those of you who uh, are new here, my name is Rollin. I'm the uh, pastor here. And it's um, good to um, see all of you. Next week, our um, very own Cole Parlier is going to be bringing the word of God to us. Can you give it up for Jesus there? Okay. So pray for him all throughout this week. Pray for him during the service, <laughs> you know, and pray for him um, afterwards. And I, I want to ask you to do this uh, in advance. Uh, you know, a lot of times we take for granted that somebody who gets up and speaks, um, you know, they're, they're fine, they're comfortable with it and everything like that, which Cole is. But I want you to give him all the encouragement um, that you can after the service next week. Because how many people know if you were standing up here delivering the word of God, you would want some encouragement too, okay? And so um, next week after the service, um, after he delivers the word of God, I want you to just come up and not all at once, don't be, don't be a mob, okay? But like, but afterwards, you know, come and um, even maybe encourage him with something that the Lord might have spoken to you. Um, something that the Holy Spirit might have done in your heart um, that day because he was faithful to pray. He was faithful to seek God in prayer um, in the word, and he was faithful to deliver it um, to the people. Okay, can everybody commit to doing that? Okay, so I expect to hear not only because um, I can listen to the podcast myself, but I expect to hear good reports that uh, Cole got greatly encouraged next week, and I'm going to ask. And then if I didn't hear that somebody encouraged, I'm coming for you. Okay, so all right, so all right, here we go. So what we're doing is we're uh, actually going through the second part of our um, series, um, breaking it up over the course of the summer, and we're actually going through a series called "What's Love Got to Do with It?" And yes, it is based on Tina Turner's famous song. And so um, if you um, have not been with us uh, yet, it's what we're going to do for the rest of the summer as we go into the new year, and uh, meaning the new school year, fiscal year, as our students come back in. And we're going through a series uh, in the book of 1 John. And John was an apostle, one of the original disciples of Jesus, one of the early 12. And he was known as the one who was beloved of Jesus. He was the one who was intimate with Jesus. Jesus had his 12. He had his 72. He had the masses. Um, but then he also had his inner circle, which were his three. And many times when Jesus was performing his miracles, he would take his three, his uh, three main men, and they would go with him um, into inner rooms. And Jesus would raise people from the dead, or uh, Jesus would multiply fish and loaves with many more were with him then. But John was one of those um, three. And then even more than being part of the three, John wrote about himself. He was the one that Jesus loved. Now, that's fine. I would have written that too. Or like, I don't know if it would have been true, but I would have like said, you know, listen, I'm Jesus' main squeeze. And so the point is, is that John was uh, the one who did that. And uh, John wrote not only the gospel of John, which we see uh, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you didn't grow up in the church. Um, but then there were also letters that were written after the gospels and after the book of Acts, which was the earliest account of the church. Um, and these letters were written to the church, giving instruction of how to live as a Christian in a pagan world. And so we know that today these instructions are just as present and applicable to us as they were to the people back in the day. And so what we're going to do is go through this series. And John, as he speaks in the, his first letter to the church, he's speaking about love over and over and over again. And the first time we spoke about it, we spoke about the fact that um, we wanted to be those who love the light. Um, but today we're going to talk about um, the second part of John's message to the church, where he's talking about um, the need to love the will of God. God. 
okay? The need to actually love the will of God. And so let's go ahead and pray and we'll get into it. Father, we thank you um, so much today uh, for your goodness towards us. <clears throat> we thank you that, God, you love us. God, we thank you that you, even as we were singing in these songs, have been faithful to us. And God, we thank you that in the midst of it all, that we have a choice to make, that we can either choose to go our own way or we can choose to love your will. And God, we're praying that today as we um, seek you through your word, you would teach us how to love your will, even in the midst of diverging roads and obstacles, um, or even things that grab at our attention and affections day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, we're going to start um, not in the book of 1 John, but we're going to start in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see what Jesus said himself. Then we're going to um, go into 1 John starting in chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, um, again, Luke chapter 13, and then if you do not have a Bible, um, it'll be up there on the screen for you. So today we're going to start with Jesus speaking. It said, he went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last who will be first and some who are first who will be last. So what we see is that Jesus, first of all, is um, making a very clear statement. Uh, when I first read this as a Christian, I was thinking to myself that once I said a prayer of salvation, then it was a shoo-in, right? Anybody remember going to a Christian camp or, you know I mean, to um, some sort of retreat or something like that when you were growing up and you had that moment in time, right? You might have been emotional. You might not have been emotional. You might have had a moment where, like, the lights came on for you and you heard the angelic host singing. You might have actually just said, what's next? But regardless of that moment, there was a moment in time where all of us have got to be what the Bible calls being born again. It said, Jesus said very clearly that it's not about the religion that you've grown up in or the culture that you've grown up in. You've got to have an encounter with God where you repent of your sin that the Bible says will very clearly separate you from God and lead you to hell and turn to him for forgiveness of sins, turn to him in righteousness, turn to him to actually be your leader and your guide. Now, the, the thing that happens though when we pray and God makes us new is that it's the beginning line. It's the starting lines, right? Has anybody already been watching the Olympics, uh, sort of the Olympic trials? Anybody um, watch any of that? Okay, you love the gymnastics that 
Um, took place, okay. Some of you are just waiting for the Wheaties box to see who won. All right, that's fine. But like, <laughs> all right, but here's the thing. In the Olympic trial, Summer Olympics, right, you can get down and um, in the starting blocks. If any of you have been an athlete, my, my um, son Shepard, like what he, what he is is he's a runner. I, I think that um, already he actually uh, what, what medaled this past summer in um, two different um, events. He uh, got to um, compete in the uh, city, uh, what is it, the city competition, and he got to medal in the uh, 50, um, the 50 yard dash and then also the uh what is it the triple um not the triple jump but the long jump okay and the thing about the dash is is that you know you're waiting for the gun right you're waiting for the gun on the line and you're getting down and you're getting ready to run like with all your might but many people think that i mean lee shepherd thought that you know like just getting ready to start was all that there was to it and so we had to tell him like once that gun goes off and he calmed his nerves right <laughs> because he was like oh we're in chicago you know but like <laughs> he calmed his nerves and it was like we we're like, listen, run, Forrest, run. You know, when we're like, go, 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 go towards the line. And in the same way, when you're born again and you're actually giving your life to Jesus, there's an entire race that's marked out for you that you've got to choose to keep up with Jesus. You've got to choose to walk with him by his grace to come into glory and to come into the things that he has for you. And so when Jesus is talking about the two roads that are um, offered to you, he's basically saying that there are choices after that point that you make a decision to serve him that are going to determine your ultimate destination in him, right? And he said, make every effort or strive is what the word uses there to go through the narrow gate, right? The narrow gate, because wide is the gate and <coughs> wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And he said, many enter through that one, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few people find that. What that tells us is that there is a road that we've got to choose, that we've got to strive for, and it's the will of God that we'll find there. So what we see in 1 John is he's encouraging us, according to Jesus' instructions, how to live according to that narrow road. So today, if you're taking notes, we're going to break it up into understanding our advocate. Number two, understanding the application that he gives us according to his instruction. And then finally, the advantage that we have in terms of the Holy Spirit helping us along that, along that road to love the will of God, okay? So now you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This is John, based on Jesus' instruction, talking about loving the will of God and loving the narrow road. He says this, My little children, talking to the church, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. When you love the will of God, the will of God is ultimately that you would not sin. Ultimately, that you wouldn't just go through cycles over and over again, asking for forgiveness for the same things over and over again, but Jesus came to set you free. In that good news, that Jesus came to set you free from the things that were destroying your life. And John's saying, listen, I'm telling you, I'm giving you this instruction by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to tell you that you do not have to sin anymore. If you've been born again and if you've been made a new creation by the Spirit of God and you've chosen to obey his teaching, what Jesus says is that you can live a life free from sin. But he says, but if anyone does sin, right? Because we all make mistakes, amen? We all make mistakes. He said, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, 
In him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing you a new com- I'm not I'm writing you no new commandment, but a commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So what we see is that if we're going to love the uh, will of God, that first of all, we've got to understand that the good news is, is we have an advocate, right? He says, I've given you a very narrow road to walk on, but in the midst of that narrow road and in the midst of unfortunate stumbling in the midst of that walk with him, he says that there's one who speaks on your behalf. And it's good news in any type of competition or any type of event that you're um, running. If you've been an athlete again, or even if you've been a musician, how many of you have been musicians in here? Okay. If you've been in, um, a performer of any type, you want to have advocates in the crowd with you. Amen. It's sort of like you want to have people on the sidelines who are cheering you on. You want to have people who you know have got your back in the midst of all that you're doing. And what Jesus is clearly saying is, is that many people have had a picture of God, even though he's talking about this narrow road as if God's an angry God waiting to strike them down if they make a mistake. I know that before I became a Christian, that was my perception of God. I, was a, I had this idea of God like he was a cosmic police officer, a cosmic police officer like sitting up on a throne with a lightning bolt in his hand, almost like a Zeus type character, you know, ready to get rid of me as soon as I made a mistake. But how many people know that God's not like that? God actually says, in my love towards you, I'm trying to give you life and not take it away from you. The very reason that Jesus Jesus came was to turn us from a life that was leading by our own machinations to destruction and give us life to the fullest is what Jesus talked about. And he's saying, I'm telling you, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. First of all, you've got to have a goal, right? You've got to know that it's possible that you can live differently than you used to live before. And if you do not have the promise that you can live differently than you did before, then it's really not much good news, is it? It's not that much of good news because you're thinking, you know, yes, I might have been forgiven, but I'm still trapped in the same cycle that I was in before, whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be drunkenness, whether it be just hatred and bitterness and dissension in your heart. The good news is Jesus came to set us free from all of those things. And how many people know that especially with what's going on in our nation right now with all of the ethnic tensions, that's even good news towards the love that we should have towards one another in our hearts. How many people know that's good news? It's sort of like people are bound by all types of bigotries. And and let me make this clear. It's bigotries on both sides. Everybody understand that. It's not just Caucasians towards African-Americans. It's not just African-Americans towards Caucasians. It's not just Latinos towards, you know, people who are of different descent than them. It's people all together disliking and distrusting those who are not like themselves. And oftentimes because of the culture that they've grown up in, people feel bound in these types of attitudes towards their fellow man. But God is saying very clearly through the gospel, I'm writing this to you so that number one, you might call sin, sin, and then number two, you might not live in it. 
I'm telling you, you can be set free in your heart. You can actually forgive just like you've been forgiven. And I'm telling you, if you can't do it in your own strength, that's actually good news that you've come to that place. Because God Almighty will come down as an advocate and he'll actually help you in your time of need. He said, not only will I speak to you um, and, and help you when you stumble and I'll speak to the Father on your behalf, but I'll actually, if you come to me, set you free in your heart of hearts so that you might know that I've made you new. This is what it means to be an advocate, right? He's coming and he's defending you. He's coming and cheering for you. He's saying, not only have I given you commandments, but I'm coming to help you so that you might fulfill that which I've commanded you. And that's good news. What does it look like, though, whenever he's coming to help us? Many people don't know what it means to have God come as an advocate and come and help you. You think that he's having some sort of private conversation, Jesus, the advocate with the Father, that you're never privy to. You just have to stand on his word. What does it mean that he's our advocate, though? It means that you can relate to him, speak to him, worship him, and guess what? He'll speak back to you. He'll speak back to you. Do you know that the God who lives is a God who's spoken not only throughout history, but he's a God who speaks today. And I'm telling you, when I have an advocate, I don't, um, I, did anybody uh, just watch the 30 for 30, um, like uh, OJ made in America? Anybody see that? Okay. I was like watching the courtroom scenes and I was sort of like, you know, listen, this isn't a message about OJ. Okay. But the point is, is that I was watching the courtroom scenes and like, you know, they would always go and their counsel talking back and forth to one another, talking about this is the defense that I'm going to make for you. The, the, the Bible is very clearly saying that God himself will speak to you in the same way, be a counsel to you by the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever tried to live for God, found that you stumbled though and felt condemned? Anybody at all? Okay. Anybody else want to raise their hand? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so like we've all been there before, right? And we can be beaten up over and over again mentally, emotionally, and even in our minds creating scenarios in our head about why we don't want to come back to church, why we don't want to go back to Bible study, why we don't want to be around the people of God, again, because of what we think they'll think about us. How many people have been there before? But this is what he's saying. It's the good news that he's coming as an advocate for you. When you're choosing the road that he's calling you to walk on, that straight and that narrow road, he's the one who comes alongside of you saying, who's going to speak against you if the judge himself tells you that you're righteous in his sight? Not because of anything that you've done yourself, but because of everything that he's done for you. That's what it means to be an advocate. He's saying, I'm coming and I'm going to defend you. I'm going to defend you in your thoughts. I'm going to defend you in your emotions. I'm going to defend you when you stand before the righteous God one day and have to give an account for your life. If you put your trust in me through the cross of Jesus, he says, I'm coming to speak on your behalf. But I'm not going to just speak one day for you. I'm going to speak to you now. That is the point of prayer, that when you go into God, into his word and open his word, you're being reminded again of how he defends you. You're being reminded again of how he speaks for you. You're being reminded again of the hope and the promise that he has for you if you trust in him the same way today as you did when you first believed. This is what it means to be an advocate. 
He speaks to you by that word that never changes. And I thank God that his word doesn't change. Because he says that even when my heart condemns me, he's greater than my heart. He's greater than my heart. He's greater than your emotions. He is greater than what you're thinking, than that tormenting voice in your head. And he said he knows everything. And that everything he knows is that he's done everything for you to reconcile you to a loving God. He says, if you choose my way, I'll speak to you over and over again. Not only by my word, but by the Holy Spirit. That testimony inside of you. Anybody ever feel like you have two voices going at the same time in your head? One that's defending you, one that's accusing you? How many people have a third voice too? Okay, a third, yeah, I do too, yeah. It's always talking to me about food. You know, the thing is, it's like, it's like I got two voices. It's sort of like, and that's where I get condemned most. But here's the point. It's like, listen, in the midst of that, let me tell you what the voice of God is. The voice of God that you're hearing is the one that's defending you. The voice of God that you hear is the one that's drawing you to himself. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. You understand? There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit, when he speaks, brings conviction. And that's good for us. You need conviction if you're going to walk on that narrow road. You need that voice in your head saying, that's not right, don't touch that, go this way instead. But what happens in the midst of conviction is that you get your hand slapped and then you get to go toward God. Condemnation, on the, underhand, on the other hand, pushes you away from God. Because what condemnation does is it steals your hope. It tells you you've blown it. It tells you you just did it that last time and God's done with you. But the word of God says as long as a man or woman is living, there is hope. As long as a man or woman is living, there's hope. You better believe you better get it right before you're not living anymore. But as long as you're living, there's hope. And conviction pushes you to a loving father that says not only will Jesus defend you, but he'll clean you up. He'll clean you up. Because the things we're convicted about, if we really think about it, they're the things that we don't want to do in our lives anyway, right? Isn't that what Paul said? He said, I have this wrestling within me so that I don't do what I want. In the book of Galatians, great, again, letter to the church, please read it. He talks about the battle between the sinful nature and the spirit of God, which is speaking to you to convict and lead to life rather than death. He's saying, listen, I will speak on your behalf. I'll be your advocate if you allow me to speak to you, not just one day, but today, through my word, through the Holy Spirit, and then finally, also through his people, through his people. Let me tell you something. Look to the man or the woman on your right, or on your right first of all, and if you're looking in an aisle, I apologize, okay? Now look to the one on your left. Guess who's going to be your biggest fan? Guess who's going to be your biggest fan? your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know about you, but like, I mean, I, I remember going to the work, the role of the work day. I mean, I worked, used to work in banking before I went into ministry. And the thing about it is, is that that wasn't in an encouraging environment where I was. 
Anybody ever go into like the workplace and find that it's not really an encouraging environment? It's more of a cutthroat environment where people are jockeying for position and trying to get ahead. Anybody experienced that before? Guess what's supposed to be different? The church, where everybody is on the same team, fighting for the same cause under one head who is Jesus Christ. That's why he's saying, if this advocate is fighting for you, guess what's going to be a natural product of choosing that road in him? That you're loving your brother and sister and you're fighting for them just as he's fighting for you. And if you are in isolation, I'm telling you, you are living less in a less of a state than God intends for you. Because the road that you call, you're called to walk on, though there may not be as many people on it, it's meant to be populated with those who know you and love you on your right and left and who can be an advocate for you. When you come to church every week, what we're asking you to do is come with a word of encouragement for somebody. Everybody needs encouragement in here. How many people believe that? Everybody needs encouragement in here. And I'm telling you, if you need it, then come ask for it. When we call you up, when we call our prayer counselors up to pray for people after the service, do not be shy, do not be prideful, do not be embarrassed, come and get it. It is the dinner bell ringing for you. Because just as God himself wants to be an advocate for you through his word and prayer, he also wants to give you a spoken word through those who know him and love him. And sometimes you need something tangible if you're going to really know and experience the love of God. Is that not true? Isn't that what he said in 1 John chapter 1? That's which we've seen, which we've handled with our own hands, right? We've handled it with our own hands. What did Thomas need? He didn't just need that word saying that Jesus was going to be resurrected from the dead, but Jesus gave him what? A touch. He said, Jesus said, listen, Thomas, put your, hand, you put your finger in my wrist. Put your hands in my side. See that it's me. Stop doubting and believe. And sometimes to understand the advocacy that God has for you, you need to hear it from somebody else. You need to hear it from somebody else. And to hear it from somebody else, sometimes you need to be open enough to let somebody know what's going on in your life. And not be so private that you're struggling on your own all the time. It's just truth, right? God's relational. He made us for relationship. He said fellowship is a shared life. And in the midst of that shared life, there's advocacy. And I, I can't tell you again how much I can say, I, I can't say thank you enough to our church family for all the love you've shown us in the midst of our trials and struggles. Thank you. I mean, I'm not, you understand that? I'm, I, I can't, I'm not just talking about it theoretically. I've experienced it from you. Eric coming over at 3 o'clock in the morning. Guess what, Eric, what time Erica doesn't get up? <laughs> well, maybe she does sometimes. <laughs> yeah, she's flying, flying out. You know what I mean? Luis and Jennifer coming over to the hospital. You know what I mean? Darcy telling me it's going to be all right. Cole and Evelyn, everybody, right? Sarah and Tegan in the midst of their study say, we, whatever, right? Everything. I could go on and on and on. Michael's parents from California sending us a care package. Did you know that they did that? They're awesome. Okay? <laughs> so I'm like, everybody, the love of God, Billy and Liz. Listen, Ting, we'll take your kids. I'm like, have them. <laughs> you know? 
It's the love of God being experienced, right? But how many people know we need that? We don't need to just read it in the Bible. We don't need to just hear by the Holy Spirit. We've gotten a touch. And God's got a touch for you too. That's your advocate. He's your advocate. He loves you. He wants to speak on your behalf. Number two. Josh and Kimberly. Kimberly coming over. Josh holding it down. Not only that. When you're choosing the road, you've got an application. And that application sort of speaks to the songs that we sing. Go back to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2, talking about choosing that narrow road. He said, I'm writing to you, little children. There's a cycle. There's a cycle of maturation that we all go through. And this is what John's talking about. He said, I'm writing to you, little children in choosing this narrow road because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm going to repeat that. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's he talking about here? He's talking about those two roads. He's talking about those two roads. And this is the cycle that we all go through if we're going to eventually come to a place of maturation in God where we actually become the pillars in the house of the Lord that he intends for us to be. Do you know that God doesn't want you just to stop at a place of Christian infancy, but he wants you to mature to the place where you actually become a tree that's actually able to help other people under which your um, life will be shade for other people's lives as well? This is what he's talking about here. He wasn't being redundant in his speech. He was showing us a cycle. Let's go back through it. Let's go back to verse 12. He says, I write to you, first of all, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account for his name's sake. What that means is that when you first become a Christian, that's all it's really about. That's all it's really about in your mentality. If you're going to choose the narrow road, it's just about running to God in conviction, not condemnation, but conviction just to say, well, I just want to make sure I'm right with him again. I just want to make sure that the blood of Jesus has cleansed me. I just want to make sure that I'm walking purely before him. And he says, good, I'm reminding you little children in your infancy, remember your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You do not have to walk in condemnation anymore. He loves you because of the cross you're forgiven. You're forgiven. But then he goes on to the next thing, verse 12, and he says, I'm writing to you fathers. He jumps over the young men or the young women, and he jumps to fathers, and he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you've known him who's from the beginning, meaning that this is the substance or the um, meat of the songs that we sing, right? When we talk about God's faithfulness, 
What we're talking about is this, that you've known him who's from the beginning, meaning that I've walked with him through highs and lows. I've walked through him and I've actually received his counsel and his advocacy on my behalf over and over again. And I know that he, and when he says he'll never leave me nor forsake me, I've actually experienced that. And so all of a sudden, over the course of time, I'm able to say, I've known him who's from the beginning. And notice the vocabulary there. He's not saying I've known about him. He's saying I've known him. You've known him who's from the beginning. And that's the point that God wants to get you to, a place of intimacy where you don't just know about him, but you've walked with him and actually intimately know him. Just like a husband and a wife know each other intimately, he's saying, I want you to know me in this way. Not physically, but even emotionally, mentally, experientially. And then he says, what gets you there is this. I'm writing to you young men or young women because you have overcome the evil one, right? He's saying basically the track that gets you there is you're having two paths over and over again. Am I going to live for myself or am I going to go live for God? Am I going to um, appreciate and receive his advocacy or am I going to go my own way and go the way that the rest of the world does? And he's saying I'm writing you to you young men and young women because you have overcome the evil one. Overcome the evil one over and over and over again. He's saying, I'm giving you a choice to make where I'm calling you up to my high calling in Christ Jesus, which is not just about you living in obedience to his commands, but it's also taking other people with you, right? Meaning going after other people and saying, you know what, I could just live selfishly. I could just make this about my own personal faith and spirituality. But I'm going beyond myself into the will of God and I'm overcoming the evil one that's keeping me isolated and concerned only with my affairs. You've overcome. It takes some overcoming to do that, does it not? It takes some overcoming to say that life is more, about, is more than just my own paycheck, my own family, my own feelings, or my own destiny. It's about others as well. And he's saying if you're a young man or young woman, part of that maturation process is getting there, right? Part of that maturation process is getting there, and it's, it's the difference or it's the bridge between being a child in the faith and being a father or mother in the faith, right? Because what defines a, child, a father or a mother is responsibility. Is that right? It's responsibility. Now, some abdicate that responsibility, but it does not mean that it wasn't placed there by God. And when you're a father or a mother in the faith, what begins to happen is you're concerned for others beyond yourself. How they're fed, how they're clothed, their emotional state, their well-being, right? That's what it means to be a father or mother. And what he's saying is, I'm calling you up into this, Christian. If you've been coming to church over and over again, only to be fed, you're still in infancy, and he's saying, I'm calling you up to be a mother or a father in the faith who can take responsibility. This is what discipleship is for others beyond yourself and begin to build a legacy to the glory of God in the midst of the gospel and with the gospel being preached. Does that make sense? But to get there, you've got to overcome. Let's continue going back through it. He says, I'm writing to you again. Fathers, because once again, this is what defines you. You've known him from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. That's why I tell my kids over, both my girls and my boys, over and over again, if they're starting to whine, if they're starting to complain, anybody have any whiners or complainers in their household? That's all right. It's part of the sinful nature, right? That's the one that Paul left out. 
Don't whine. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just playing. But he said, like, listen, if they start to whine or complain, I'm like, listen, be strong. That's the command over and over again to my kids, right? Be strong. Now, we comfort them, obviously. If they scrape their knee, we're not like, be strong. You know, it's like we pick them up, we love them, we like take care of the neosporin, all that good stuff. But then after that, the command is be strong, right? What was the command of God all throughout the Old Testament to his people over and over again? Be strong. It wasn't feel strong. Because how many people you know you could be strong without feeling strong? You can be strong without feeling strong. That's what courage is all about, is it not? It means you might be full of fear, but you go and do what needs to be done anyway. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He did it anyway. Because he received the command of the Father, be strong. Why? Because the word of God abided in him. The word of God can abide in you and it can bring you from a place of being in fear. It can bring you from a place of feeling condemned all the time to actually being strong. And because of it, you'll overcome the evil one. You'll overcome. But let me tell you something. This is what we've got to get in us if we're going to choose the narrow road in God. We've got to get used to the fight. Some Christians don't like to fight. But the Bible calls our walk with God a fight of faith. A fight of faith, meaning it doesn't just fall into our laps. We've got to choose to do something to advance. And he's saying to be strong, let the word of God abide in you. And if you want to be an overcomer, how many people want to be an overcomer in here? How many people want to do and be what the Bible says, more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus who through him who loves us, right? But to be more than a conqueror, it meant that you conquered something. To overcome means that you overcame something. And we don't like that, right? We appreciate being able to love God, have him love us, and not go through anything. But he says if you're going to overcome, it means there's something to overcome. If you're going to be more than a conqueror, there's something to conquer. So if you're dealing with a challenge, guess what? You're being made strong. Anybody going through anything at all? Or are you just sympathizing with me? All right, listen. So like, listen, if you want to overcome, you've got to have the word of God abiding in you to become strong. And then ultimately, here's the point of it all. He says to the young children, if you're going to choose that narrow road, I'm telling you, just like the fathers can know him who's been from the beginning, you can know him right now too. I write to you. Let's go to the next one. I'm sorry. I write to verse 15. He says, do not, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I skipped it. I apologize. He says, do I write to you young children because... You've known him who's from the beginning, just like the fathers can, you can too. Now here's the point. Here's the point. How many of you like Robert Frost? Anybody? Okay, how many of you know who Robert Frost is? Okay, some of us need to go back to school. All right, listen, here's the thing. Robert Frost, one of the great poets, right? How many people like his uh, um, poem, The Two Roads? Okay, can we put that up there? The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Anybody remember reading that in school? This is what it reminds me of over and over again when we talk about choosing to love the will of God. He says, the two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. Isn't that what Christians feel like a lot of times? <laughs> sort of like, I wish I could love God, but still do everything I want to do. <laughs> Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. I just want to love Jesus, but still live like the rest of the world. <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves. 
and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Is that not gospel? The road less traveled by. Let me tell you something. If you're only patterning yourself after your friends, your coworkers, and even family members who've gone before you, you are not taking the road less traveled by. Jesus said, few will enter through the road that leads to life. Few. The road less traveled by. And why? Because there's a choice to make. He said, if you love the world and the things of the world, and not, he's not talking about, do I, do I, well, I should go buck naked, I shouldn't love clothes. No, he's saying, listen, if you love the ways and the pursuits of the world and the way that the world does things, you cannot have the love of God in your heart at the same time. There is not space for both. Do you understand that? It's either I'm filling myself with the things of God and the pursuits of God, or I'm going to be filling myself with a pursuit that leads me away from him. That's why Jesus said, man can't love both him and what? Money, right? Did he say that money's bad? No. He said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So if I'm pursuing both, and I'm not saying not to work a job. I have to give all these qualifiers because people go online and start talking about, oh, he's telling us not to work. No, nobody's telling you not to work, <laughs> okay? Everybody needs to pay their bills. But if all your ambitions are centered around how big your paycheck is going to be or how many trips you can take a year or how, what type of clothing you're wearing, then there's not room for God. There is not room for God. And he's saying that that is the easier road. That's the road more traveled. And he's saying, unfortunately, the things that people give most of their energy and time to are the things that don't last. How many people were serial daters growing up? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about. Anybody a serial dater in here? Okay, well, fine. <laughs> fine. I was. And I would give my all to this one girl, talk about how many babies we were going to have, you know, where we were going to like vacation later on, I'd give my all and then like three weeks later we'd break up. Anybody start making, like naming their like kids like with somebody they broke up with like a month later? You know what I'm talking about. Come on now, don't leave me up here. <laughs> okay. They don't last, right? People give themselves to these things over and over again or people who build their lives to try to amass a fortune and then in a moment, right? Stock market crashes and then they panic and sell out and it's gone, Right? All of these different things. And he's saying, hey, listen, but the one who does the will of God will do what? Abide forever. You want to sow into the things that are going to last. You don't want to waste your life like John Piper says. Anybody like John Piper in here? He has a whole book called Don't Waste Your Life. I'm like, he's just strong. <laughs> 
Two roads. Two roads. So when we're loving the will of God, how do we finally love the will of God? I'll, I'll say this. You love it just like you love broccoli. And if any of you grew up in here with a sweet tooth, like I did, then you know what I mean. You love it like you love the new fad kale. <laughs> Anybody ever look, on, look at your plate and what's being served at you at a restaurant and you immediately want to send it back? Say, I didn't ask for this. What I read on the plate was not this. Uh, what I read on the menu was not what I see on my plate. That's what a lot of people feel like with the will of God, right? But how many people know that those superfoods are actually good for you and the things that will actually keep you alive? I would be the living example or the living um, manifestation of the Pillsbury Doughboy if I, if I could. I love it. I love baked goods. I'd live off of them if I could. But how many people know this would be the last, last time you see me too? <laughs> okay? I have to choose to eat something besides cookies and meat. <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm just trying to get real practical. Because I went to the doctor a couple years ago, and they said, what does your diet look like? And I said, don't ask me that. <laughs> don't ask me that. It's when I lived in North Carolina, and there was a a restaurant called Bojangles on every corner. Anybody ever been to a Bojangles? Anybody barely make it out? <laughs> and my cholesterol was going sky high. You know why? I was in youth ministry and I gave the excuse that I'm just serving the children. <laughs> every time after the youth group meeting, they asked for it, and who was I to deny them? And so I'd get my chicken plate, fried chicken over and over again, get my bowberry biscuit, and then I'd thump my chest on the way home about, that went down kind of hard, give me more, some more sweet tea, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor told me, Rollin, if you continue to eat like this, you will not have a choice, I will medicate you. I was like, let me tell you something. <laughs> I'm a grown man. They were like, I will medicate. We had a good relationship. Roland, I will forcefully medicate you. And I was like, or you have a choice to make. You can choose the road less traveled, which in the South meant driving past the Bojangles. <laughs> okay. You could choose the road less traveled. And as Robert Frost said, that has made all the difference. It's the same way with God. Do you want to do what's easier? Yes. Do you always want to read your Bible? No. Do you always want to find yourself in a place of worship fellowship or actually relationship where you're opening up your life and serving others just as God has served you? The answer is no. But in the midst of you not feeling that way, guess what? You have an advocate. You have an advocate who's cheering you on saying, I understand, do it anyway. <laughs> do it anyway. See, that's Christian maturity, is it not? When you're a father or mother and you hear the baby screaming in the middle of the night, do you want to get up? The answer is, come on, say it even if you don't have kids. The answer is, you can guess, no. The answer is no. You want to tell them they'll be okay from another room. Okay. But what do you do when you come to a place of maturity? You actually get up and you do it anyway. 
And is that Christianity just as much as feeling like you ought to do it when you ought to do it? Yes, it is. It's doing what you ought to do when you don't want to do it, and that will make all the difference. So loving the will of God is actually choosing God over yourself. That's what it ultimately comes down to. Saying, I choose to love someone, meaning this God who's loved me, laid down his life for me more than me in this moment. If you want to have a successful marriage, that's what it will be comprised of one day. Amen, married couple? When you don't feel like it, it's saying, I choose the other person over myself. And it will be the same way with God. So as a people, we're going to love the will of God and we're going to come into maturity, not just being about ourselves, but actually going out to make disciples and parenting a Chicago who loves, who's loved by God and needs this gospel. Amen? Rise to your feet. We're going to worship and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us, and we thank you that in the midst of, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of even feeling like we'd like to do something different, that God, you give us a great example in your son, Jesus Christ, who is not only an advocate for us, but somebody who did what needed to be done when he didn't feel like doing it. God, we're asking you that today as we go back into worship, we'd hear your voice of advocacy. Father, for those who felt condemned in here, Father, we pray that this would be a homecoming for them. God, that they would no longer run from you, but they would run to you, your grace, your forgiveness, and your throne. Father, for those who've been walking with you for a period of time, God, we pray that this would be a strengthening moment, that some steel would be put in people's backs, that strength would be put in their hearts, that even when it's difficult, God, that they would choose to love your will and sow into the things that last not just for a moment, but forever. God, we bless you, and we thank you for your good encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.